the grim obligation to report a monkey's poor situation. Oh no! Oh, oh no! No one likes them, but you know you've got to. It's like it's like you know, a, well, a COVID test. I had one of those today. Negative, don't worry. But if it were positive, I'd have to go and let everyone know that there's Rona floating about. You know, mm. so I've just got to let people know that we're in a, a high monkey's poor environment. So. If anything looks like a good deal to you, be careful, okay? Because I'm not sure if I mentioned, in fact, I know I did. I don't know why I started that sentence with I'm not sure. Uh, a while back I mentioned there is a vending machine downstairs, right? The one the one that someone stole your money from. The Yeah, the one that someone got half a free fucking drink from me out of, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So down there, it's $2 bills. They go in and you can get a Snapple cheaper than you can get it at the pharmacy, right? Good deal. I can be downstairs and back in less than a minute with a Snapple. However, I have been tr- <laughs> I have been trying to have two single dollar bills in my possession for weeks. Everything I've bought with money has come out at an exact dollar value according to what I've got. <sighs> if if I've got like five bucks and i'm like if i buy something that i need i'm not running the math i'm not gonna go and buy like a pack of twizzlers when i don't want fucking twizzlers the idea is i'm like oh i want this i'll get it here is some money (laughs) haha they're gonna give me some dollar bills back Mm -mm. exact change back and it's it's five it's never less than five (laughs) never Today was the last straw. I got two cans of pop from the shop, right? <laughs> and then thought, well, with the when I get this, right? I got some Red Bulls. When I get these, I'm going to pay with my cash. And then I'm going to get dollars back. And then I can get Snapples later. Nice treat for Stephanie. Yum, yum in my tummy. $11.09. Perfect. I've got three $5 bills in my pocket. $11.09. I'm going to get some change back. Discount, 10 bucks. <laughs> oh. Now, Conrad. Yeah. I'm not one to typecast or indeed fling accusations, but if anyone among us, or indeed anyone I know, has been like offering Faustian pacts, it's going to be you. Have you been flinging your Faust around? <laughs> uh, not lately. I mean, right. I tend I tend not to make a whole lot of deals with people because they inevitably renege on them. That is a bit of a bit an issue, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so long as I'm not getting any Faustian splashback, I will. Uh, I'll close that line of inquiry. But I I need to know what what monkey I've been rubbing. <laughs> I mean, my my question here is pretty simple, and m- maybe this is a foolish question. Can you not just ask them, can you please give me the change in dollar bills? Oh, Laura. I, I don't know America. Is this America? I don't know. Oh, Laura, I probably could. <laughs> I probably could. But am I ever, am I ever going to ask another human being who I don't know for a thing. Steph will barely ask the people that they have known for years and years and yeah. would be happy to do things for them. I have to be forced to let good things happen to me. Could you 
just write it on your face. Just write on your face. Please give me dollar bills when you give me change. All across your face. Dollar dollar bills, yeah. Dollar dollar bills, please. Hey, now here's a thought. Now, maybe the secret to overcoming social anxiety is to just go full post Malone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you can just point yeah. to the thing that you want to say. You know, and it can be real subtle, like you're scratching. Mm. Oh no, I'm I'm accidentally scratching my please give me dollar bills in my change eyebrow. <laughs> At this point, this is the line of thinking that gets me into so much trouble. At this point, it's principle. <laughs> At this point, I want to be able to go into a shop with some money and leave with some dollar bills based on an honest working American transaction. I'm not going to ask. The most I will do is ask the building manager downstairs if he can break five, which I've not done. I'm more than happy to go and, like, get a company to make you a shirt that says, please, can you give me my change in dollar bills? I'm happy to produce that and get it sent to you, so you just have to put it on and there you go, you're done. The thing is, (laughs) is there are a thousand ways this can be resolved. There are literally a thousand ways I could get some dollar bills. But all I want to do is go into a shop with money and leave with change. And the fact it's not happening is amazing to me. I've never, I've never (laughs) been this unable to have two dollar bills. I might have a plan, but Steph, I need you to just not listen for a second. This is secrets. I've got a plan for Comrade. Alright, I'm gonna take my headphones off. Okay. Uh Alright. Give me a loud shout so I know when to put them back on. Will will do. So what I'm what I'm thinking is I just email absolutely every business within like a ten mile radius of Steph's place and go, hey, look. If you see this person, give them Yeah, if you see this person, coins. please give them dollar bills in, in that change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I'd super appreciate that. It'd be a you know personal favor to me. Thank you very much. I think we can make that work. Oh yeah, that could probably happen. I I mean everyone here is, is real, real accommodating and they won't think that's strange. Actually, it'll be perfectly normal. We're ready for you back. Was that for me? That was for you. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah no, we've got we've got it all sorted. Um, oh, we're going to need some photos. We'll talk later. <laughs> okay. Your, your luck will miraculously change all by itself with no outside intervention. What kind of photos? Because for a couple of dollar bills, Conrad. Oh, I know. You won't get the top tier ones. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the point is... This could be resolved so easily in many ways, but I don't think about it till I'm in the shop, and then I'm like, this is going to be brilliant. I'm going to get some money back, and I don't. Actually, I'd really love it if you just wandered around town. Uh, no, no, not you. Not you. Of course not you. Why is it Jonathan wandering around Boston with a stack of 8 by 10 headshots trying to hand them out to businesses <laughs> to display? <laughs> Because he won't look after himself. It's true. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying it's the point is convenience and this is not convenient. I should just have some monies. Anyway. Hello, everyone. Hi. This has been frustrating for like 
the dozens of listeners that have some really easy fix and are yelling it. They're just yelling it. But that's what knowing me is like. We'll find some complicated fixes. We'll create like a mail order system where you can mail your $5 bills over to the UK here. I'll swap them for single dollar bills and then post them back to you. We'll, we'll find a complicated solution. Oh, God, yes. That's cost effective. Yeah. Yeah, we need to go full Rube Goldberg with this. It's got to be more expensive than it is worth. But we're going to do it. Yes. The best ideas always are. <laughs> Podquisition, favourite video games, great or perfect? Who's played one this week? Uh, well, we've played a couple. Yeah, I've played a couple. Yeah. Who yeah. wants to start this week? Well, Laura. Yeah. You. Me. Have the same, different model, but you've actually got the same s- species of emulator <laughs> handheld dinky doogie that I have. The the same the same species of totally legal retro game player device uh-huh. that exists. Yep, for totally very legal. Legal in China. Legal in China. Legal somewhere. That's what that's what matters. Wherever it's legal, that's where I'm recording this podcast. I'm recording it from space. There's no piracy laws in space. There we are. International waters. Yeah, first podcast recorded from space. Uh, yeah, I am now the owner of an Ambonic RG351V. I thought it was the V. Yeah, it's it's very similar to to the one you've got, except this is more um. Less Game Boy Advance form factor and more original Game Boy tall form factor. Mm-hmm. Which which finish did you get? Oh, I got it with the slightly see-through black plastic. Nice. They do some nice ones. They do that one and a wood one as well that looks really classy. I'm a real sucker for slightly see-through plastic tech. I want mm-hmm. it to make a resurgence and it can't come fast enough. Make that what all my consoles are. I want to see the bits in them. Yeah. If they want to send me... One of these, I can guarantee we'll talk about this a third time on the podcast. <laughs> we we might not be impossible. <laughs> oh wait, you got it sent. I I'm I'm I may I may have done. Oh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, I, I I had I just assumed you'd bought it, and I figure I'd take an opportunity to try and cash in. Damn. Oh, no, uh, we'll 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 talk after the I show. I love Anthony. <laughs> I'll get him to be my friend. Um, I genuinely, I want to just say for the listeners, like and like I've tried a couple of of handheld uh, Raspberry Pi emulator machines. The Ambonic stuff is really fucking good. I've got the the 351M, which the build quality on this fucking thing, like the case is metal, which is impressive enough because a lot of them, a lot of them feel shoddy and cheap, but Ambonic doesn't. I've not tried the V that you have, but I'm assuming it, it the build quality, like it, it's solid and feels. It's a really nice D-pad. I've known like fans, like actual consoles that have had less nice D-pads than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the buttons have a really good click to them. I didn't know how I would feel about the analog stick placement on this because th- this was my big question mark. Is the analog stick is right down in the bottom left corner of this, and in pictures I looked at that and went. That looks like it's going to be super, like, uncomfortable position-wise to hold. And it isn't at all. Because of the position of where the the bumpers are on the back, it's very easy to just move your hand down and have it resting on the analog stick comfortably, which I was surprised by. But yeah, my, mine is a slightly newer one than Steph's. Not, not much, but a, a little bit. It seems to be a little bit more reliable with N64 games. Which, so far, it's been handling them all really well, which is really nice. Oh, Laura, tell them I want a V as well. <laughs> but my favourite thing about this that I've been messing around with is I have it set up so that I have achievements for retro games on here. That is interesting. Yeah, so 
basically there is a website that this can connect to that will, you know, go through all of your collection of games and find them on this website and find fan-made achievements. And it will recognize the game you're playing and pop up achievements when you do various things. And I didn't realize how much of an impact that was going to make on my engagement with old games. I, I find the idea fascinating. Yeah, the the little bit of dopamine hit that, that pings from going like, ooh, it's made me more curious to go like, oh, is there stuff I could do in this game that I never thought about back in the day that's worth trying? It's encouraged me to play old games in slightly new ways and get a bit more enjoyment out of them. It has really made a difference to my desire to go back and play old stuff. Well, that's always been the allure of achievement type stuff for me. I'm not so much a completionist, but occasionally I will look through the achievements and be like, oh, no, that's an interesting thing to try that I might not have considered. And then I will go do that. I really yeah. like achievements for that. And yeah. I, I'm down to play some old games and see what people have tucked in there as challenges. Is that something you added to it, Laura, or is... Was that part of the, the, the system you got? So this was not the standard firmware that came with it. This is uh -huh. a firmware that's called 351-ELEC, E-L-E-C. Mm -hmm. It took a bit of fiddling around. It was a much more open firmware. It had a lot more options for customizing which emulator you were going to use and what settings you wanted to run games at. And I think that was a big part of helping get the N64 games running right. You have to be okay with doing a lot of tweaking around with settings. Yeah, that's my issue, because I reckon I could get N64 games working on this. They're meant to, but I think I've got to do more than I want to do. <laughs> so I did find someone who had set one of these up previously before, and they basically were like, here is the the files that if you throw it on, it'll it'll think it's my one of those and it'll have all the settings set up ready for you and just put your own info in. Nice one. That made it a lot easier for me because I, I looked at all those settings was a bit intimidated. I just needed, give me the file that will make all the settings be right. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been really digging having achievements on old games. It's really nice having Rumble. I didn't, right? I didn't anticipate this thing having Rumble. It's a, it's a surprise when it happens. I was playing Silent Hill and suddenly hit a wall, and it was like the fuck a Rumble. You know what one surprised me? Because it's a game that had really weird Rumble implementation, and I didn't expect this to pick up on it. Mm. Was Pokemon Pinball for the Game Boy Color that had like a AAA oh, battery you put in yeah. it to Rumble? Oh yeah, it had the Rumble Pack thing. Yeah, yeah, it recognized that as a Rumble Pack game That's and. Cute. Yeah. made it work right and i was like oh that's more oh, that's neat mm -hmm. yeah um so like i said i've tried a couple of these machines i've tried kin hanks um one that was all right i tried the the game boy one up um which a lot of people swear by but it, it was flimsy as shit and broke after a few seconds of being turned on it just bricked uh, so i didn't have a good experience with that but the Anbenica I've had for a while, and I'm not gonna, but I feel like with it, I feel I could drop it and it would be fine. Some of them I'm a, I'd be afraid to take out of the house. Mm. Like, I'd be afraid to just have in my pocket, but this is, you know, rock solid. Yeah, it's, it's sturdy, it's really nicely made. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
I've never known a screen protector so perfectly easy to fit. There's a slight raised edge around the screen, and the screen protector is the perfect size to put it in two corners and drop it, and it just, mmm, perfect. Nice. Mmm, satisfying. Very nice. What else you been playing on it? Oh, what have I been playing? I've been playing a lot of Pokemon Pinball. I've been playing some ROM hacks. I've been yeah. having fun playing, like, ROM hacks of old games. Some of them are, yeah, certainly something. Yeah, the the, the one that I've, I've been playing the last couple of days is a ROM hack of Pokemon Fire Red back on the Game Boy Advance uh, called Pokemon Radical Red. It's got a lot of really nice quality of life features and a lot of stuff from later in the series ported down to this version of the game. So it's got all of the Pokemon from all of the games, including like the DLC for Sword and Shield are all in there with custom pixel art to make them look like they fit back in that game. You don't have to put your HMs on Pokemon, you can just use them from your inventory. Mega Evolutions, uh, Gigantamaxing, all of those features are in there. But then it's just a little bit more difficult than the regular version of the game. Like, all the gym leaders actually use six Pokemon rather than being like, I'm the end of the Elite Four and I've got two empty slots in my party for no reason. There is a very hard mode if you want it, but it's like, yeah, look, do you want just slightly more challenge and all of the Pokemon in there? Cool, here you go. And it's really nicely made. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Excellent. I think that's probably the big thing I'm going to be doing with this for the, the time being is looking up cool, weird ROM hacks to play on it. Nice. This week I've been doing a lot of uh, PlayStation 1 games. Mm, yeah. Do you want to know what I've been using my expensive machine to play? What have you been using your expensive ID to play? Austin Powers Pinball. Yeah, baby, yeah. Oh, oh Groovy Dalek. Do it. Have I made you horny, friend? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Behave now, please. I mean, I genuinely have played Austin Powers Pinball. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Sometimes he says, oh, no, I've lost my mojo. So then you you know you're like oh no is he going to get his mojo back? So this is specifically Spy Who Shagged Me pinball. There are two tables. Oh, Spy Who Shagged Me is a much better table than International Man of Mystery. But yeah, <laughs> they're fine. I don't know why pinball's such an appealing thing. It's what I jumped to first as soon as this thing was here. I was like, ah, oh, give me all my my old pinball games. Mm -hmm. Well, it was playing around with these machines that kicked off my recent pinball obsession because I'll I'll. F find something pinball-related, get into it, and then I'm like, ah, I am now obsessed with pinball again for an indeterminate amount of time. So it was playing things like Devil's Crush and Dragon's Revenge and stuff that, that got me on, on a kick. And yeah, I've been doing that a bit again, and it's been a lot of Austin Powers <laughs> pinball uh, for no good reason. And racing games as well. Hmm. I've had a thing for racing games lately, so I've been playing R4 Ridge Racer. Um, mm -hmm. Ooh, I'm terrible at it. I can't nail the drifting. I'm a per just a terminal third placer, but I'm having fun, and that's what matters. I mean, the, the other thing I've been having fun with is I've been having fun with a lot of old Game Boy Advance Yu-Gi-Oh games. Nice. I've I've been tracking down a lot of games that I put like way too much time in my life into, and I'm like, oh yeah, I I I lost hundreds of hours to that. I could, I could go for that again. Nice one. Justin already had a library he could just copy over with like a thousand GBA games on it, so it's like. That'll keep me entertained because I've got some traveling to do and I'm I'm going to play that Nightmare Before Christmas GBA <gasps> game. It's surprisingly good. It's such a good library, the GBA. Yeah, There's a is, lot of remarkably good games there. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
There's one other really cool thing about the firmware I have installed on this that, mm-hmm. like, I haven't had a good chance to try out yet. You can do wireless multiplayer online oh, for, retro, nice. for retro games that had multiplayer. Oh. Yeah. Even ones that didn't have online multiplayer, you can connect online with another person's device and do multiplayer as if you were both in the same room, which is really neat. I was curious about that, because I know it's, especially on the Anvenic, they do tout that you can do stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, I was curious about that. I've yet to have a chance to try it out, but I'm really excited about that being a thing that exists, yeah. and I want to I wanna find someone else I can play old games with online. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe you'll be in the vicinity of someone with an Anvenic. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Ah, oh, they're fucking good, folks. They're, they're real nice. I recommend anyone just have a, a handheld full of emulated games, not just because <laughs> they, it's fun, but also because, oh God, I just like advocating robbery. <laughs> but when it comes to them, I recommend Anbenic stuff. Um, so if they want to throw me anything for free uh, <laughs> for that for that promotion, then, you know... Hit me up, don't be a stranger, Anbiz. I will say, the best novelty thing I've had running on this that has just been, like, feels cool to have, even even if there's not much practical purpose, that N64 build of Dinosaur Planet, the game that became mm. Star Fox Adventures that leaked oh. a while back, I have that on here, and it runs really well. Nice. It didn't originally. When I first tried booting that ROM up, everything that had a head was orbiting around things that didn't have heads. Huh. Yeah, there was some, like, does this thing have a head, yes or no, trigger that was causing things to wildly orbit each other. Fun. Yeah, I have footage of it. It, it was quite a thing to see. Yeah, who else played anything else this week? I played a little bit of Encased, which uh, is a tactical RPG, I guess. It's, it's Fallout. Somebody made a Fallout game. Oh, okay. Good for them. <laughs> it's, it's Fallout, like original Fallout. That's, that's yeah. basically what I'm looking at. The setting is in the 1970s. It's an alternate history 1970s where the Vietnam and Cold Wars abruptly end because a mysterious dome just appears. And it's got all of these weird anomalies going on inside of it. And anybody that goes in can't go back out. Nothing organic can leave the dome, seemingly. Mm -hmm. And so the whole world comes together in the spirit of unity to figure out what the F this is. It's an interesting setting. I did not play much of it because it is very clear that this is a Fallout game. From 20 years ago. (laughs) And I loved that. Like, if this game came out 20 years ago, I'd be all fucking over this. There is pretty good writing in it. The setting that they're establishing is interesting. There's this class structure implemented where people are organized and placed into colored groups that represent their role in this research and construction project inside of the dome there's a lot there and there's there's a lot of dialogue options stuff there very clearly even in just the few hours of it that i played to sort of poke around it also has a good range of difficulty settings so there there appears to be a very very casual mode that you can still fuck up and get yourself killed 
fairly easily. Mm -hmm. But if you're in those forced combat encounters, it's very generous to the player. And that's good. Yeah. If you are, this was a crowdfunded thing from a while back and it just officially launched, which is how it came onto my radar and is good. I like it. People should play it. I'm not going to play it. (laughs) But if you were looking for something that was in a retro RPG vein with a lot of story and a lot of character interaction and skill focus, yeah. You should play that. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. And it visually looks pretty good, too. Ain't bad. I played another thing that I need to talk about. But then we need to hear it. I played an hour-long demo for the Dark Pictures anthology House of Ashes. Ooh. The new supermassive horror game. So I talked about this on the podcast a few months ago because I, you know, I, I got to see a press presentation for the game and I noted at the time that this 30-minute presentation did a whole lot of glossing over stuff. The game is set in 2003, Iraq, and is about primarily a group of American soldiers looking for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, but then they fall below the ground and monsters. Right. So there is one playable character in the game who is an Iraqi soldier rather than being one of the American soldiers. Okay. And the 30-minute presentation I got shown for that game several months ago barely had a sentence to say about the one Iraqi character. It was very much like, oh, and there's one Iraqi character. His name's Salim. Anyway, off we go to pay attention to the Americans again. And something didn't feel right. Having now played an hour of this game... I have the same concerns, only more so. I played an hour of this game and got to spend maybe three minutes with Salim. Primarily, I got to spend a lot of time with bickering mid-divorce American soldiers, far more interested in, you know, the mechanics of their breakup than they were about, like, being in a tomb full of monsters or, oops, maybe we were wrong when we thought there were weapons of mass destruction down here. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe the full game will be different, but this is the second time in a row this game has been presented to me where the one Iraqi character has been basically non-existent. Besides a cursory, here they are, anyway, back to the Americans. And that feels very strange and I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but mmm. This is the most uncertain and unconvinced I've been for a supermassive game in a while. (sighs) I love the game industry. Yeah. The moment you say anything vaguely, like, politically contemporary, one's teeth can't help but be set on edge. Yeah. What the fuck are they going to do? This is based on no nothing concrete. This is my gut feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to play this the whole way through as, ooh, Oh, uh, you can't. Oh, you can't trust the Iraqi character. They're mysterious, and you've barely spent any time with them. You don't know what they're up to while they're off screen. What's going on? And the end point is going to end up being something like, "Oh, can can you trust?" Because half of the characters you're playing in this, the American soldiers, are outwardly racist. Like you're playing a bunch of outwardly racist characters, and I'm like. They're going to try and make this a big, difficult, quote-unquote, moral choice. Do you trust Salim? If yes, probably you'll get out okay. Yeah. But, oh, can you get over your character's ingrained racism? Like, it feels like that's what they're going for, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels very conspicuous how much they keep sidelining Salim, and it's like, you've got something in mind for him, and you're going to bring him in two-thirds of the way into story when the thing happens. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Oh, well, I mean, fingers crossed. I've enjoyed all the Dark Pictures games so far to varying degrees. They've not been perfect, but I've had a good time with them. I, you know, fingers crossed for the main game, but I, I'm i not feeling hopeful. At the very least, they've done a very poor job of presenting this game in a way that makes me want to play it. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, my options are like, the hour I played, probably about 30 minutes of it was bickering divorce couple that can't get over the fact they're divorcing long enough to go like, hey, maybe we deal with monsters being a thing. Two varying degrees of racist man-soldier, and Salim who shows up for about two minutes. Hmm. I was like, just, just, hmm. I'm not digging it. No. Who else has played anything else? (laughs) Well, to bring it back to our retro discussions, as I mentioned, I've been playing some old PS1 games. Mm. You know, a lot of racing games. Been playing some G Darius, because I, I fucking love G Darius. Einhander, Ooh. the old square shoot 'em up. That's a class. I love that game. That's so mm. much fun. Holds up. Yeah, it does. Looks real nice. I used to think that generation was so ugly visually because we went from, you know, lovely looking 16 bit games to these awful 3D models. Looking back, some of them, like, with what they were working with, made some really pretty stuff. Yeah, done well. I mean, I think the problem, generally speaking, was an effort at realistic characters that they weren't prepared to accomplish yet. And that was was the challenge. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you made something that was conducive to being represented in relatively few polygons and then you could enhance it visually with some more make some remarkably beautiful stuff and square was phenomenally good at it oh yeah they that they were and yeah einhander is still real good alien trilogy which is it's not a great first person shooter but it was one of the very first playstation one games i got back in the day and of course i love aliens so it's fun i haven't played mdk yet but i did put it on my system i'm looking forward to that i've tried many times like since mdk launched to play it and maybe i just don't get what the fuck i'm supposed to be doing i've never played it i've always wanted to i remember reading about it back in the day but i've i'm I'm saving for um for a trip i'm doing and i want to try it when i can concentrate but I'm looking forward to it. You let me know, because that and, and Psygnosis Shadow of the Beast series are two things that I, I... 30 years playing fucking video games, I still don't have a goddamn clue what those are. <laughs> Alrighty, I will let you know. Pandemonium? Oh! Yeah! That's fun. Yeah. Klonoa? Mm-hmm. Similar to Pandemonium, you know, one of those early Ooh. sort of PlayStation platformers that were still doing 2D. Both of them... Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, not too bad. Um, I mean, I could go through Skull Monkeys. I played a bit of uh, the old Spider-Man PSX one from like 2000. Oh, mm-hmm. That was a real good one. Yeah, yeah it's still playable. I, that's what I find surprising with some of these is when I go back and I'm like, oh, God, it's a PSX era 3D game. There's a good chance it's going to be shit. Spider-Man holds up somewhat. You know, it's simple and and rough by today's refined standards for 3d design but it works it's not unplayable and that's what i admire the most about a good playstation (laughs) one game it's not unplayable got toomba downloaded not started it yet god i love toomba but let's throw all this to the side toss this in the bin because i want to talk about the most important 
PlayStation 1 game I played this week. Yeah. Apocalypse. Strap one on, it's time to jam. Damn, that feels good. Let's say that again and again and again, folks. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, you want some? You want some? Oh, my God. <laughs> Bruce Willis stars in Apocalypse, a game I have watched people play in the past. Oh, but you've never had the joy yourself? Oh, Never had the joy myself of playing it because I took one look at it and thought, right, that's a lot of platforming and a lot of 3D shooting on platforms uh-huh. on the PSX. Yep. Gonna be terrible. It is. I disagree. It's fucking incredible. Really? I'm not joking. I'm not joking here. Apocalypse is fucking great i think that the platforming sucks but the shooting is fun as hell the platforming is i think it's because it's so much better than i thought it would be Mm. in that it's doable yes it is doable (laughs) it's doable and and folks like i can't tell you how how much of a revelation that is for a playstation (laughs) one 3D platforming experience. Well, they've got the camera real far back most of the time, too. They've got the camera far back. It's a third-person shooter, but with a lot of platforms that act as sort of corridors, but you can fall off the side. And the amount of times I've fallen off the side are not negligible, but they're not excessive. Yep. I'll fall off sometimes, but it's sometimes. And the platforming, for the most part, I am confidently jumping from place to place, and that shocks me. But yeah, yeah, the um, the combat is, it's like a shoot 'em up you know, you play a little Bruce Willis, and you use the face buttons to shoot, um, you know, forwards and left and right and backwards. To be honest, it's best to just get as close to the foreground as possible and shoot upwards and run yeah. left and right. Yeah. And a lot of the environment, many of the environments are tailored for that, but sometimes you might need to shoot in other directions. Uh, and that's about it. It's absurd <laughs> as a game. <laughs> Bruce Willis fights the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the future. That sounds fucking amazing. It's so ridiculous. And it has it has Poe. Sorry, I have to bring it up every time. It has my favorite uh, musician of the 90s and Danieluski. It's got little billboards in the game here and there that play full music videos at an amazing resolution. It's it's interesting because this was the first deployment of that technology uh, that Neversoft used, and you know later it was a big part of Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. You know that that use of digital video within the game, yeah, throughout the game, yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it doesn't look great these days, of course, but it's still a surprise mm-hmm. when you're playing like an old PlayStation One game. And it's like suddenly, you know, it's like non-HD GIF quality, but it's still, oh, wow, look at that. A little music video in a billboard, in a game, on a screen. God, Apocalypse is fucking great. (laughs) I couldn't stop playing it. Like, I really couldn't stop. I started it and was like, I'll do this for five minutes. And then by the end of it, like two hours later, I'm yelling, damn, that feels good. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you finish it? Uh, not yet, not yet. Boy, let me let me know what you think of that. I've fought three of the horsemen. Mm-hmm. I've fought three of them, so I'm on the last the last bit of it. I think. Yeah, it's really good. The worst the worst part of the game is Bruce Willis. Yeah, just his repeated phrases. You know, he was supposed to be the sidekick originally, ah, and then they changed course, and Bruce Willis. Had already recorded the lines. Oh. So they just made do. 
I, I think that's how it went down. Right. But yes, he was supposed to be the chatty sidekick character, and and there was a a like in, in, they were going to be in the environment AI controlled originally. I see. Yeah. The game's absurd. If you are in the habit of of playing old games or you know hoarding them on a little metal box like I am, get Apocalypse. I have it on disc. I can see it from my desk. I love that game. I'm gonna give it a try. You've you've sold me. It works good with the analog stick. I find the jumping and the platforming perfectly serviceable. It's acceptable considering the period in which it was made. Oh, I would say the period in which it's made. It's fucking good. It's on par with Crash Bandicoot. I would say even better. Wow. Okay. That's just me. But then I've never been big on the platforming in Crash Bandicoot at all, so... Oh, no, me either. Well. (laughs) (laughs) I think the platforming in Crash Bandicoot is trash. Crash Bandicoot has me yeeting things and yelling, whereas Apocalypse has me going, "Mm, mm." Fair. But I do think if I were to try to convey the experience of the platforming... Yeah. You know, because it looks like the platforming in Max Payne. Yeah. If you're observing it. But it really plays more along the lines of Bandicoot. Mm. What about you, Conrad? Have you played anything else this week? Yeah. Um, so I have uh, like a little bit of a public service announcement I feel like I have to make. Um, because there seems to be uh, some contingent of independent game developers out there making the absolutely terrible decision of designing games exclusively to appeal to me (laughs) (laughs) that's not a big demographic is the thing yeah that's you yeah it's it's not but somebody pointed me to a game called wasteland golf club (gasps) i've been curious about that i saw it come out it is a golf game (laughs) so that i mean but it is a very good very simple mechanically golf game mm-hmm. you manage both force and angle with the analog stick hold it in position and just tap the button to hit the ball yeah so it's a, a very easy to play mechanically golf game there's like timing shit or any of that very basic that's great as someone who loves golf games and mini golf games a lot i have not found it particularly challenging until the midpoint. And now I'm starting to get into holes where you're going to be moving a little even back and forth and to climb objects and, and, and do that. And so it does get kind of out there and that's fun, but it's very chill, very relaxing, just meditative golf. And the music in it is so good because all of the background audio is wrapped up in this aesthetic of being a radio broadcast Mm -hmm. portraying the nostalgia of a lost earth that you are now golfing across the story of the game is that the ultra rich went to space and now live on a mars colony and come back to the environmentally destroyed earth that they left behind to play golf. Oh. So when you said this game was designed exclusively to appeal to you, you weren't fucking around. I was not. <laughs> this is a very, very, very B game. Yeah. 
as evidenced by the fact that I am I'm on hole 18 of I think 30 35 holes mm-hmm. and I am currently playing at a negative 35 par. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I am enjoying it a lot. <laughs> it is very very good. If you are interested in the idea of a highly meditative mini golf experience wrapped in a narrative that, you know, somewhat cynically, but also in a very heartfelt way, like is is reflective on like we're going to lose all of this and the rich are just going to golf across it. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's simple. It's. Ten bucks. What, what did you say this is called again? It's called Wasteland Golf Club. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not a golf girl, but that one caught my eye. Sometimes something outside of my wheelhouse just has my interest and I'm not even sure why. So I was curious about that one. Ooh. Yeah. I'm glad it's good. It's it's very good. It, it is on Switch as well, apparently. Mm-hmm. So I'm downloading that as we speak. Nice. That sounds fascinating in between the musical bits there are these spoken word portions where people are talking about their experiences on earth and the things that they did before it all went away Hmm. and it's so ah it just makes you feel things it made me feel things at least and that takes a lot well it's it it's not a a small feat but i you know i'll cry i'll cry at a movie you know actually i i teared up at the end of psychonauts too which I also finished um, this past week. Uh, yeah, Psychonauts 2 real good right through to the end, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That is just a start to finish very good video game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really came away from it with basically no no real complaints. And and there are so many like minor improvements on the formula that I, I have tremendous respect for, especially now that I'm in the process of going back to uh, collect the remaining figments yes. and other items in the yeah. environment. Uh, somebody in a Discord somewhere, it might have been my Discord, but I can't remember. Uh, somebody was in a Discord lamenting the figments in Mia's race sequence in the original Psychonauts. That, you know, because, yeah, it's a miserable experience to collect them there it's a brightly colored environment where they blend in it's a very long stage it's not easy to navigate backwards to get things you miss it's a pain in the ass oh just being able to teleport back to a specific checkpoint within a world makes such a difference for picking up those figments that you sort of go past on a bit of a journey but not yeah not merely that they relocate them yes when you revisit which is fantastic uh, most mm. notably there's a pachinko sequence yes uh, in the game where i only went through it twice and it wouldn't be possible for me to get all the figments without going through three or more times but after i've completed and revisit the brain they've just moved them elsewhere into that exterior environment to that mini game and i can get them yeah it's great it's very respectful of your time yes like if you want to 100 collect everything it's not going to drag that experience out more than is necessary which is good because this is already one of the rare games i'm gonna feel compelled to do that anyway yeah i finished it and i just wanted to keep playing yep yep that's just a real neat video game What else you play, Laura? I played a video game I really liked. 
Um, I played through all of Life is Strange True Colours. So this is another Life is Strange game, choose your own adventure young adult with superpowers kind of game. I was a little uncertain going into this, because this is the first one, sort of the first Life is Strange game not made by Don't Nod, who are the people who made Life is Strange, Life is Strange 2, they did Tell Me Why last year. This is developed by a team called Deck Nine, and their only prior experience with the series was doing a spin-off in an existing world with an existing set of characters with no superpowers that was based on existing lore. I'm really impressed with this. This is a really, really strong first outing for this this dev team. I think it might be the most I've enjoyed a Life is Strange game. I really dug it. So the conceit this time is your your young woman, Alex, who you're playing as, has moved to a small rural town up in the mountains somewhere in America. The sort of community where everyone knows everyone. And her superpower that this is, a lot of this is built around is... How do I, how do I explain this? What if... The spell detect thoughts from Dungeons and Dragons was based on emotions. If people have very strong emotions, this character can feel those emotions and sense them, and then read surface level thoughts associated with that emotion. Mm -hmm. But she struggles with keeping this power in check. If people's emotions are too strong, too close to her, she will end up experiencing the same emotion they are experiencing with potential negative consequences. The, the, the general idea is, hey, you're in a tiny little community. Oops, something has gone very wrong. There is very clearly a mystery to be unraveled. Get to know this very small community of people and unravel what is going on here. I think this game really benefited from keeping the scope of its narrative very concise. Basically, the entire game takes place on one little community high street over various days. And you've got like the seven or eight shops on the high street where you know like, oh, so-and-so works over there and so-and-so works there and so-and-so lives over there. And everyone, like very quickly, you meet everyone in town and you know all of the people and then just get to really spend time getting to know them and getting to understand what's going on with them. The writing's really solid. The best compliment I think I can give the, the quality of the writing and the performance on this is there is a point in one of the episodes where there is clearly... A bit of a filler side adventure that is clearly we needed to fill some time because there was a lack of, of stuff with the main plot to be doing here. And for the couple of hours that I was on this little side adventure, it was very clear I was on a little side adventure. Didn't give a shit. I was just really having a good time getting to spend more time with the characters in an unusual, like in an unusual setting, in an unusual context. The game finds ways to make just spending time in this little community really enjoyable and very creative, even when you're not sort of chugging along trying to get through, I want to know what's going on with the mystery. The biggest warnings I will give for this game, for anyone who has previously played Don't Nod's games of this nature, Tell Me Why last year was really good about making content warnings available to people in advance of the game's release and when people picked up the game. This Life is Strange does not do that, and it's it's a Life is Strange game. It's pretty heavy emotionally in some places. When you have a power that is related to people experiencing incredibly strong emotions and you being able to read their thoughts during those moments, it leads to some pretty upsetting scenes in some places that are like very well acted, very well, very sensibly handled, but like can be pretty intense. It does not do the same sort of job that Don't Nod does with these games of 
pre-warning or giving players the ability to get a heads up as to what's coming. But I really enjoyed this. I think the other thing I really want to highlight to people that felt kind of different about this. A lot of times when I play video games where you have the option to date male or female romance options, think of your Mass Effects or whatever, it doesn't feel like you are playing a bisexual character. It feels like you are playing a character who just coincidentally is whatever sexuality you happen to pursue, they're that. Alex, the main character in this, feels like a really well-developed bisexual character who feels canonically in the world presented as bisexual, and the romance options that are presented are both equally fleshed out in very different but very equally played out ways. It was nice that neither felt like the throwaway secondary option. They both felt like, yeah, no, the game is making equal effort to present both of these. And that was just, that was very nice. I, I, I really, I really like this. I played through most of it in a single sitting and had a really good time with it. Nice. Yeah, it's a real good game. Mm-hmm. Have either of you played anything else this week? Oh, I don't think so. I played the medium. Oh. Oh, how did you get on with that? It's Bloober Team's best game to date. Hmm. I mean, mechanically, I'd agree. Narratively, I have some problems with it, but... Oh, oh no, narratively as well. <laughs> I've played Bloober Team's games before, and this is the best one they've done. It's not terrible, but... Yeah. Bloober has a history of mm, difficulties portraying mental health struggles. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this this sure doesn't help that reputation. It don't help, does it? No. No. They do seem to have an interesting idea of what trauma universally does. Yeah. You know all those rumours that have been circulating for a while that Bloober team is working on a Silent Hill game? I really don't want that to be true. No. I don't want to play a Bloober Team Silent Hill. Like, I'm not going to call Bloober Team hacks. And that's the medium. <laughs> yeah, that's about all the medium really deserves, I think. It's fine as a game. Yeah. It's fine. And it's. I find it less mechanically insulting than I found the Layers of Fear games. But I won't call them hacks. <laughs> Uh, the only other thing I think that I played is I have played through now all of No More Heroes 3. Mm-hmm. I really, I really dig that game. No More Heroes 3 really, really, really delivers on what Travis Strikes Again a couple of years ago, or a year or so ago, wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It is a amalgam of different game genres mashed together in a way that feels like all of the disparate elements are brought together in ways that, that don't clash with each other. It is stylish, it is well-paced, it plays really nicely. I had a great time playing through it. One thing that I think is possibly the best improvement on this mechanically compared to past games in the series, or at least something that I really appreciate as an option that a lot of people are going to appreciate, if you are someone who wants to play a No More Heroes game where you can just go... Combat, combat, boss fight, combat, combat, bo- boss fight, and not do any of the other mini games. you can viably do that. They drop onto the, the game map whenever you've got a new boss fight to, to unlock, a bunch of circles on the map and go, there are fights here. If you fight all of those fights on the map, you will have basically got enough money to do the next boss fight. Which means if you are someone who doesn't care for the, you know, do the mowing the lawn minigame, uh, do the collecting trash and not getting eaten by crocodiles minigame you can avoid that stuff and you can just push through it which I 
really appreciate on a second playthrough that has encouraged me to go back and keep playing it, particularly on playing on a second, uh, on a harder difficulty playthrough. It's been nice to just go, okay, I've seen those minigames. I just kind of want to do the cool boss fights again. I, I have no idea if Suda's going to make more of these games, but he sure made a very good game here and seemed like he was pulling out all of the stops to do all of his weird game developer auto fantasy shit of like, if I don't get to make another No More Heroes game, I'm going to do all the weird shit in this one. And it produced a really fun end experience. So yeah, I really like No More Heroes 3. It's a very good game. Awesome. Has anyone else played anything else or should we get on to newsy things? Let's get cracking on the news. There is a lot this week. Yeah, we'll we'll try and get through it in, in reasonable time. So let's start by talking about Tripwire Interactive. <laughs> oh, God, I've had to write Jimquisition um, early this week. I've got a lot of fun things coming Monday. Yeah, yeah. So let's let we'll we'll get the the story itself out of the way and mm-hmm. then we'll deal with all of the other things that popped up around it. So John Gibson, who is the CEO of Tripwire Interactive, decided to do a tweet on the 4th of September, which I will read. Proud of US Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often, yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. That did not go over well, surprisingly. I think he thought that we'd embrace his coming out as a pro-life game developer, like that's an identity with uh, some import, rather than just self-important wankery from a fucking wanker. Yeah, yeah. He's been called very brave, by the way, for simpering for authority. This man who sings Christian new metal songs about how the government is too oppressive while applauding government oppression, the fucking hypocrite. Yeah, do you want do you want to share any of those fucking lyrics you found? Yes, please. And am I right that the song with these lyrics ended up in one of Tripwire's games? Is that a thing? Yes, Killing Floor 2. Yes. Yes. The band is called Dirge. Oh. And as as I as I say on the upcoming Jimquisition, I consider myself a veritable queen of cringe, but this is um um, who gives a shit about politics? I'd like to share a thing or two about heretics. You see, evil infiltrated our government and it wears a masquerading of sentiment. By the way, the song itself, all of this is sung as... I suspect that is the reason why people didn't notice these were the lyrics in a tripwire game. Probably, they're not passable. Um, Oh, by the way, Laura, I forgot to tell you that you can't pray in school. I hope you know that you can pray after school. And please don't mention Christ on the job. Wonder why I feel like I have been robbed. (sighs) Conquer to control the people. What is the first thing you do? Guns, please take them away so they can't resist you. Who took God out of the news? Took the people out of God. Took all their rights away. Now when people push until they break, rip children from the womb before they ever had a chance to see they're alive. Look into their unborn eyes, which if... You get them quick enough, they won't have those. I'm endlessly fascinated with this man being like, they come in and take my rights away. Anyway, I'm very proud of the Supreme Court for taking someone's rights away. Exactly. Like, that that was one of the big things I've hammered on, was the sheer... I mean, it's it's not just Gibson, it's that whole sect of, of as far as I'm concerned, 
anti-freedom, self-described patriots who cling to the apron strings of, of mama government while claiming that they're rebels. Ah, oh, yes. These people who think they're anti-authority while simping for the most fascist ideas and ideals this country has to offer. Mm-hmm. I'm pro-abortion, by the way. I just, I, I feel it's very important to go on the record. Yeah. And affirm my identity as a pro-abortion games critic. Yeah. And I'm not pro-choice. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Because no. abortion isn't a dirty word. I'm very pro-abortion. Yeah. So there was some fallout to that tweet. Surprise, surprise. What's there? Yeah. So first of all, co-developer Shipwright Studios that worked on Chivalry 2 and Maneater uh, tweeted a statement in response to say that it had cancelled all of its existing contracts with Tripwire. Basically, I'll, I'll skim over the, the, uh, the statement, but it's like, hey, hey, while it's regrettable, we think that it, we, we'd be doing ourselves a, and our employees a disservice and the industry a disservice by not, you know, cutting ties with you after this. Yeah, they say we cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under the current leadership structure. We will begin the cancellation of our existing contracts effective immediately. That wasn't the only company to cancel working with Tripwire over this. Chivalry 2 developer Torn Banner Studios stopped short of announcing it had cut ties with Tripwire, but it did tweet to distance itself from Gibson's statement. Um, so they did a, we do not share the opinion that uh, they did. The statement stands in a, a opposition to what we believe about women's rights. I don't know if this is accurate, but I've seen some people guessing that they might have some contracts they can't get out of at the moment based on timings of when Chivalry 2 released and where it is in its release schedule. But yeah, people that work with Tripwire were real quick to burn that bridge and go, nope. No, no, thank you. That seems like a good idea. Yeah. I tell you what, if if the CEO of a company I worked with came out in favour of fucking evil, yeah. I would be compelled somewhat to distance myself from that man. If the CEO of a company I worked for, I, I would have to go. Yeah. Like, I would have to go. It's bad enough my labor's being exploited, but when my labor's going to be exploited and then... Applied to that? Go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, moving forward a little bit, Jason Schreier then tweeted on the 7th of September, Tripwire Interactive CEO John Gisborne is stepping down following severe backlash against his tweet. So, okay, Tripwire's statement was, His comments disregarded the values of our whole team, our partners, and much of the broader community. Our leadership team at Tripwire are deeply sorry and unified in our commitment to take swift action and foster a more positive environment. Now, good that he's no longer CEO. My understanding is he is still co-owner of Tripwire and does still make money. He's no longer CEO, but he will still financially benefit. He still has a vested interest in the business. Yeah. He will still financially benefit from Tripwire doing well. And that is something to bear in mind with your support of Tripwire, but... Yeah, that was a very swift, oops, you're not CEO anymore. Mm -hmm. A very quick attempt to try and claw back some of their reputation. I don't know whether that's going to be enough or whether this is going to cause people to stay away from Tripwire, but time will tell. Time will indeed tell, but I tell you what, John Gibson will be just fine. Because God's going to look after him. Oh yeah. Yeah. He'll be fine. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
I forget who said it on Twitter, but someone said he should be okay with the decision because he didn't last six weeks. Oh. So, we got another story of another company that has had uh, allegations of discrimination and mistreatment. This time it's Paradox Interactive, according to an employee survey. A survey conducted by union groups reports a culture of silence among staff at uh, Paradox Interactive, uh, including gender discrimination and mistreatment. So the survey was conducted uh, back in August by uh, two different Swedish union groups. Of 133 people surveyed, 44% of them said they had experienced mistreatment at the company. Of that number, female employees make up 26% of respondents, and 69% of women working at the company said they have experienced abusive treatment, compared to 33% among male staff. So, predominant women more often than men, but about half of people surveyed at Paradox reported some level of mistreatment at the company. Hmm. The survey also described a culture of silence, with almost zero employees feeling as though their treatment had been handled appropriately. Offensive treatment is a systemic and far too common problem at Paradox, the report concluded. Hmm. Well, I mean, Paradox is going to apparently do an internal review, which... Okay. No, well, I guess, fine. Maybe have an external review. Yeah, well... Yeah, I think some state bodies could probably stand to do some external reviews. But they are at least bringing in some external company. We'll wait and see who they bring in because that might uh, have a, an impact on how seriously that can be taken. Yeah. I mean, it's unsurprising. Even in the smaller ones, even in Sweden. Yeah. Historically, when companies are brought in outside companies to investigate these kind of things, it's more often your Wilma Hales than, you know, than not. Yeah. <sighs> so throw them on the list. Beyond that, we've got a couple of smaller stories that we can go through pretty quickly. There was a bit of backlash around PlayStation-exclusive Horizon Forbidden West. This game was originally going to be coming out in 2021. Mm -hmm. And Sony made a pledge that they were like, hey, any cross-platform games we create through the end of 2021, we will guarantee a free way to upgrade your PS4 copy to a PS5 copy. Then that game got delayed into early 2022. And when various editions of the game started getting announced, people noticed, wait a second, this doesn't have, you know, the, the, the ability to upgrade it to the PS5 version. What gives? And it seems like it was like, oh yeah, no, that game was going to have that feature, but then we moved it to 2022. So our delay means we don't have to offer that feature anymore. And people were not super happy about that. In a PlayStation blog update, Jim Ryan has said that, hey, we missed the mark will offer you the ability to upgrade Horizon to PS5 for free, but they have now made clear what their stance will be going forward, which is if you have the PS4 version and you want to upgrade it to the PS5 version, you're going to have to pay $10. Well, you know, that's they, they sold all of the PlayStation 5 units that they felt comfortable selling and giving away free upgrades on. And so now they're going, oh, but wait a minute, uh, the scalpers bought all of those, didn't they? Oh. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, I hate to say, why are we surprised? Because we, we really shouldn't be. It's, it's to be expected that upgraded versions were going to be at, a, a, you know, an additional premium. 
if for no other reason than upgraded versions have been sold to us at a premium for two decades now. That's just what we do. They're just doing it faster. It is, but Microsoft isn't doing this. That's true. And that is something in Microsoft's favor right now, is that for first-party software, you buy you one copy, you can play it on whichever version of the Xbox you have. You don't have to pay extra to update it. Well, but and that is also reflective of Microsoft being rooted as a PC technology company. Indeed, yeah. Because on PC, that's just the way it is. Yeah, and... I'm very curious, like, I don't think this is going to have a huge impact, but that is definitely something I can say positive about Microsoft right now that I can't about Sony. Uh, Another story we have this week. Advertising standards tell Star Citizen developer to make it clear that for sale concept ships don't exist in game yet. So the Advertising Standards Authority uh, got a complaint because someone... Basically, the Star Citizen will sell you stuff that doesn't yet exist. Um, they have a thing called Concept Ships, which is for ships that they've had ideas for, and they're gonna make them at some point. Do you want to buy one now? There's limited numbers, even though we haven't even made it yet. There's limited numbers. Buy it now. Forced scarcity. They're also adding in some other benefits, uh, in-game benefits relating to purchase it, like lifetime insurance policies and things like that. There are things, there are elements of it that make it more than simply just, hey, you'll get this ship. But I agree that, yes, it's... Well, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i going to read you an email that they sent out in July that, like, sure does make it sound like, hey, you won't get a chance to get this ship unless you buy it now. It doesn't exist, but you should buy it now. Last chance to grab the Gatic Raelian. Don't miss your chance to pledge for the Gatic Manufacture Raelian. This alien concept ship will be leaving the pledge store on Monday. Nowhere in the email mentioning that the Gatic Raelian doesn't exist. Sure. That it is not a thing they've even started developing. And someone, perhaps fairly, went, this is really misleading. You are doing pressure tactics to go, buy it now, buy it now, and not making it clear that you are pre-ordering a thing that, that they have not even started making. So, uh, the Advertising Standards Authority told Eurogamer that the complainant challenged whether the ad was misleading because it wasn't sufficiently clear that the ship was a concept design that may never materialise. Basically, yeah, the ASA's reasoning was it should be more clear that this is a thing that hasn't been made and that might not ever get made and that doesn't currently exist and is at best a pre-order. Do people give money to Star Citizen for a joke? Is it just a very expensive prank? I'm constantly surprised by the amounts of money people will throw at Star Citizen for things that don't yet exist. There are some terrifying numbers. I've never really talked about Star Citizen because everything about it confuses me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just confused. I don't know where to begin with it. I don't know what they're doing or why. It's not even in a genre that I follow. Like, nothing about Star Citizen is penetrable to me. Now, imagine that you're a legislator or a bureaucrat. Right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing more to add. Very fair point. Also, I looked up that, that concept ship that the complaint was made about. $250 for a single ship. <laughs> That's on the low end. Some Star Citizen ships, real world money, can sell for as much as $2,500. For a ship that can be permanently destroyed. It's unbelievable. Like, I genuinely don't know how this has worked. I don't know how it works. 
Have you heard of Scientology stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess it does make a bit more sense now that you say that. Right? Like, if you put it in the context of belief. Specifically, cult-like belief. Well, yeah. People believe so fervently that this game will arrive, it will be feature complete, and it will be everything that they dream it will be. They are willing to go to great lengths to ensure that outcome. There's a lot, Conrad, there's a lot I would suck for Gitteru Man 2. I know. But I'm not going to pump thousands of dollars into it on the hope it might happen. There's a lot of games I'd love to see real and happen and be a thing. But two grand for a ship that is consumable, essentially. What hold have they managed to get on people? Like, what... What is it about this game? They sold everyone a very ambitious dream. Yep. I mean, yeah. And then had the money to make a very ambitious thing because people threw ambitious amounts of money at them. Yeah, like, I can be ambitious. If someone would give me money, I'll tell them that I'll do something. (laughs) I'll do that all day long. People do give me money, and I'm the the sucker that does them. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, if I say a video might come out... Then people will start, like, throwing the big bucks around. Well, all you have to do is say a video is is going to come out eventually, but I'm going to need some money to make that happen. And then every time you get some money, you say, oh, I've just had an idea for how to make this video better. Uh... I am going to need some more money to do it, but trust me, it's going to be really good when it comes out. On and on you go. You could be the Chris Roberts of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it. No joke, I'm going to do it. This is my career now. <laughs> so we've got a couple of very quick stories left before we finish up today. Ubisoft's back in the news. Yeah. Oh. Hi. Uh, Ubisoft finally names replacement for disgraced chief creative officer. Is it a woman? Surprisingly, no. Is it a person of colour? No, it's another, it's another middle-aged white French man. Oh. Oh. Weird. His name's I, uh, Igor Man- Manceau. He's he's a middle-aged white Frenchman. Named Igor. Named Igor. Okay. There are plenty of Igors in the world. Why? Why is that still the case? Like... I don't know, but there's loads of them, and I don't want to piss off the Igor demographic. <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who doesn't remember... Back in July 2020, the previous person to hold this role was Serge Haskowet, who appeared very, very, very prominently in a lot of the allegations about Ubisoft stuff. We don't need to get into them. Needless to say, he was one of the people who was doing bad stuff and HR was actively, like, helping him do bad stuff. Funnily enough, a better Ubisoft, which is an employee group which recently issued an open letter with a big list of demands to Yves Guillemot that over a thousand staff signed, cautiously welcomed Mancio in a statement published, That being said, they were a little bit critical. They did use this as an opportunity to talk about the shocking lack of diversity in Ubisoft's VPs, something that Manso's promotion does not remedy. Their quote, We can only trust that this application and appointment were done so under intense scrutiny due to the actions of his predecessor. Basically, we really fucking hope that you haven't put another him in his place. Mm Mm-hmm. So... It's like, we, we applaud this decision... Until we hear any shit. Yeah. No. No, I, mean, I don't understand why they're even applauding it. It's like, congratulations, you haven't put an 
obvious abuser into a position of power. Congratulate, like, is that what we're doing here? Well, I'll say this, right? Someone yesterday to me said fucking, like, Ubisoft are doing, like, some, you know, quote-unquote free next-gen upgrade for Far Cry, <laughs> and someone copied me in and said, well, you've got to hand it to him for this one. <laughs> uh, no, you do not, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to him. Yeah, yeah. Um... And we got one last story that, um, Conrad, I know you're going to have opinions about. I have opinions about it. There's a little bit of crossover with some uh, other other stuff that that I do. Well, today, today, the Nabisco company <gasps> announced that there's going to be Pokemon Oreos. You're going to be able to open up a package of Oreos and on the sides of the Oreos, there's going to be Pokemons. Oh! And some of them are going to be rarer than other ones. Like you get a legendary one on the side of them, maybe if you're lucky. Or And some of them are going to have been made by scabs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, re- reminder, everyone, over the last month, there has been a boycott going on of Nabisco products that you should be, you know, boycotting. Well, no, there, there's been a strike at, fi- at five, five Nabisco plants have been striking starting in Portland in uh, the beginning of August, or the 10th of August. We're coming up on a month now. Yep. Really, really, really brutal working conditions that are unacceptable. Well, it's, it's, it's too... It's, it's... Too many hours. It's the same shit that, you know, we see a lot of times. Too many hours. They took away their pension plan in favor of 401k in 2018 when an agreement couldn't be reached on that. Was it Nabisco that had the story uh, that came out of uh, someone died on the floor and people were just told to work around them? Uh, That might have been Frito-Lay. We've had a lot that of might have been. we've I had a lot of snack related yeah. uh, strike actions lately. Strikes recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Anyway, obviously, I'm personally standing with the employees at Nabisco uh, in their actions against parent company Mendelez, and I, I hope they can get what they need out of this. Don't buy the biscuits that have a Pokemon on the side that you will promptly put in your mouth and not know they have a Pokemon on the side. Just don't. You don't need the biscuit with a Pokemon on the side of it. Yeah, I agree with that, too. And frankly... Oreo has been real high on their own fucking supply lately. I don't know if you've noticed the range of flavors that they've been putting out, but you know, I'm, I'm surprised the workers didn't strike on that basis <laughs> to save us all. It's out of hand. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not touching Oreos at the moment because of the strike going on. That being said, it's a real shame because they're one of the, the few that do vegan stuff. A lot of their brands are vegan, but... You know what? It's not fucking worth it to have a vegan biscuit at the expense of, you know, crossing the line and buying a product where the workers are striking. Just don't do it. A vegan cookie with an electric mouse on it. And and you know, you know Laura would be all about that shit if they took care of their employees. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, hey, if if I'm willing to turn down a Pokemon-related vegan snack, you should be too. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 this week. We, we done it, I think. Hey! Hey! Well... Laura. Yeah? When you're not taking a stand against vegan Pikachu biscuits, you're doing other things. Yeah. And I think people deserve, <gasps> they've got a right to know what those things are. Wow. Call me controversial. I, 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 I mean, I'm willing to play into the controversy. You can't scare me away from it. Mm-hmm. Laura K. Buzz, all the places, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Uh, I Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. 
Uh, I publish episodes of Access Ability every Friday on YouTube. This week's episode is about Life is Strange True Colours. There are some good settings in there, and there are some weird ones I dig into, so go watch that. I also have books. Uncomfortable Labels, that's out now. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's out now. Gender Euphoria, that's out now. And then there's podcasts. Pixel Squirt, it's about video game porn. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, it's the one where I talk about stuff like board games and TV shows and stuff that isn't video games. And Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm on seasons 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. They're all their own stories, you can jump in wherever. I recommend listening to season 8 if you haven't been listening to it, because, oh, it's fucking spicy, it's it's going some places. Comrade, you used to be on that show. I did used to be on that show, and I am, unfortunately, still on Twitter and Instagram, at Conrad Zimmerman. You can also find me on Twitch three, four days a week at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com or now at thegymporium.com, where you can also get all of your fine Jimquisition wares, of which there are many. <gasps> and... Everything I do gets uh, supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> it's James Stephanie Sterling. Whoa, what? Fuck. Oh, shut the front fuck. Yes, it's my thing now that I will talk about. It is patreon.com <laughs> <laughs> slash Jimquisition. And that supports the show and this and pays the folks that I work with and all of that. And that's good. And I stream um, at least once a week on the Twitch, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. And as Conrad said, the gymporium.com uh, is where you can get all your uh, merch and stuff. And my next confirmed, something might come up sooner, but my next confirmed wrestling appearance is October 8th, Pittsburgh Grand Hall. That is Enjoy Wrestling's next show, Night Moves. So that would be my next live appearance somewhere. And that's that. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting and all of that business. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.